Hello, everyone, and welcome to a brand new episode of the Jams and Tea Podcast Record Club, where each week one of us picks a record for everyone to listen to and review. And this week, we're going to be talking about Riley's recommended record, which is the 1989 album Hats by the Blue Nile. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the Blue Nile, about Hats, and why you had us listen to this special little record? So I feel like we have talked about Sophista Pop a few times in our now episodes or just generally in our kind of musical bander sessions about how much we love Sophista Pop, how much I know, Jake, you've kind of been gradually getting into that particular realm of 80s music over the last year or so. Prefab Sprout Gang. Yeah, exactly. Like Prefab Sprout come come up a lot. And I feel like they've had a bit of a popularity resurgence among sort of online music circles in the last few years as well. But to me, the Sophista Pop band that has basically been closest to my heart ever since I discovered them is the Blue Nile. And they're a they're a deceptively easy band to overlook, given how little of their music really demands all that much attention, how quiet of a profile they had as a band. I mean, they only ever released four records and quietly dissolved as opposed to like dramatically breaking up or just um continuing to release mediocre music or or whatever. Uh, they are the project of one Mr. Paul Buchanan and, and Mr. Robert Bell and Mr. Paul Joseph Moore, the three members of the band's original lineup. But really, it was Paul Buchanan's project primarily. I mean, all three men are pivotal to the band, but it's Paul Buchanan's project primarily, and he's the face of it. And I think of them very much in the same way as I think of a band like Talk Talk, who in their refinement of their Sophista-pop sound, which was more, I guess, akin to pop, to, to pop rock, but kind of melded the realm of Sophista-pop with pop rock before disappearing into the post-rock ether in the late 80s. I still think of a lot of similar spiritual energy between those two bands and a similar kind of presence vocally and, and charismatically uh, shared between Paul Buchanan and Mark. I, I thought of Mark Hollis an awful lot while listening to this. Yeah. So, and I mean, Talk Talk is undisputedly one of the 10 greatest bands of all time, in my opinion. So any music that can evoke that, but have its own distinct identity outside of that. And of course, that comparison is very tangential because the Blue Nile are a very different band. Still, it's a it's a great prospect for how well the band is going to resonate with me. And listening to their two early era most beloved and most celebrated records, 1984's A Walk Across the Rooftops and 1989's Hats, was simply a, a, a case of love at first sight. Like it was just like this band have such a declarative sense of their own identity and they lay down these patiently composed but beautifully just gorgeously arranged and immaculately engineered records that capture a very specific vibe very intensely and with such grace and effectiveness that it feels almost like a definitive exploration of the topic that being longing you know that being this very particular post 70s smeary nocturnal melancholy of the 80s or kind of simmering below the surface of pop culture in the 80s anyway. I think this kind of underlying late night melancholy always existed sort of at the periphery of pop culture in that era. And the Blue Nile 
essentially make that feeling their entire identity with these records. They're a Scottish band, uh, and which is an interesting thing that you could probably listen to their records without ever realizing, except for there's one brilliant moment on one of the songs on this record where Paul Buchanan's Scottish accent comes through in this kind of like unguarded moment of emotional catharsis. But they are a Scottish band, and that's another reason why I felt like we have to talk about them in some way, because one of our many recurring bits in this channel is the is our love for and celebration of genuinely gothically melancholic Scottish sad music. And to talk about an entry into that esteemed canon that comes from a much earlier era than the other bands that we typically talk about, and in a much different musical realm, again, was too hard to resist but a walk along the rooftops and hats are both two of my favorite albums of all time i i I think that they are practically perfect from front to back i have them both at a perfect score which i don't give out lightly anymore so really it was just a question of okay what how do i contextualize this how do i introduce this to my friends and hopefully i i think they'll they'll form a similar connection but i want to do this right so I flirted briefly with having us do a dual record club on both albums, but then I thought that might be a little bit too much to take in because while there are distinct differences between both albums and both have a very clear and different identity while still obviously being the same band, it might have been a bit too much and it might have created a little bit of redundancy even to cover them together. So I thought, which one would make the most sense? And hats. Ultimately, even though I maybe narrowly prefer A Walk Along the Rooftops, Hats is the Blue Nile record that the band are going to be forever most known for, most celebrated for. It's their most successful album. It's the album with the most tumultuous backstory in in terms of the story to get it made. And it is ultimately probably the greatest Sophistapop record ever, in my opinion. Although, you know, of course, Prefab Sprout, Steve McQueen has to be in the conversation too. But this particular brand just, it, it, it hits upon a nerve that is really close to my heart. And we'll get into it. But yeah, so Scottish band formed in Glasgow in the early 80s and released a mildly successful in the UK debut album with uh, the song Tinseltown in the Rain, which I still think is their greatest song, being a mild success for them on UK radio as well. And then they were signed, and I think they were signed to Virgin, uh, and they immediately experienced a huge level of pressure to follow that up. Uh, Not just sort of the the self-imposed pressure of being in a band and having made a debut album, but literal pressure from Virgin who are saying we need a follow-up and we need it now. And they recorded an album's worth of material for the follow-up to their debut, but ultimately scrapped it because they weren't happy with it. And I think at some point they were actually sued by Virgin for not meeting their deadline, which I think was, I, I think sometime in like 86 or 87, but they just weren't ready and they weren't happy that they could produce something that they, that would live up to what they, the bar they had set for themselves. But ultimately, after some time letting the ideas simmer, they were able to regroup in 1988 and record Hats, the album we're going to be talking about today, which is one of the most immaculately crafted pop records I've ever heard. An immensely sad album that has a twist of bittersweetness to it that complicates that emotion. It's a record that I love to listen to when I'm completely dissociating in the middle of the night in bed. And equally, it suits 
we're going into winter here now in the southern hemisphere and it really suits that like pre sort of twilight hour of the day when i'm like almost finished work and i'm just like completely wiped but need something to get me through that final stretch it's a beautiful record um for that purpose but let's get into it a little bit more detail and i want to hear from you guys now uh what was your experience listening to this what struck you most about the album and what are your overall thoughts before we talk about some of the songs more specifically like other than you know weather veins or uh the rustin kelly album or what have you it's been a long time since i've been so immediately and without hesitation like oh i get it it's been a while since that kind of emotion really struck me in terms of like a a first listen where i was just i turned on over the hillside and as sort of slow and immersive and atmospheric as that song is i was so immediately hit with like an endorphin rush of this this hits the brain just the sound of it hits me in a way that is just like oh it's like i've been listening to this for years and in in a way it feels like i have because there are so many trace elements of so much stuff that i i do love very much like all over this there like there are spots where i'm like oh the 1975 took that well, actually, fun fact, I think Maddie Healy said that this is his favorite album of the 1980s. Yeah, no fucking shit. Um. <laughs> and in modern influences, like in terms of just like modern sort of big indie, I, I, th- I think a lot of chromatics, when I listen to this, I think they took a lot from this. And yeah. that sort of like modern sort of slightly sort of retro euro disco but inflected with this sort of soft rock aesthetic there's a lot of bands like that and i think that you can trace them back to multiple influences but one of them definitely being the blue nile i had a similarly uh striking experience turning this on over the hillside is just actually i i shouldn't even point out one track in particular i should just go ahead and say that this is this album has one of the most staggeringly consistent a sides i've ever witnessed in all of music besides nothing to you know turn your nose up at or anything but holy shit this album starts out on a hell of a run and i was immediately struck by two things when you're sort of first listen to this album and that being this whole thing has aged beautifully i mean these synths have aged as well as the ones you would find on uh wish you were here by pink floyd like this is a timeless sound that feels like it has been perfectly preserved and crystallized i tracked down the remaster of this album which i'm sure helped enhance that experience but my god it was just it, it very much felt like it lived up to the standard of like the thomas dolby production on prefab sprout albums which mm-hmm. i consider to be basically unparalleled so the fact that this even scratches that but matches it in any respect at all deeply impressive the other thing that you sort of first noticed about this album is paul buchanan as a vocal presence and as mentioned before he's very reminiscent of singers like uh mark hollis and that there's almost a bluesiness to his voice and the thing is with paul as a vocalist is that i wouldn't say that he's like a great singer but that paradoxically makes him a way more compelling presence than if you like than if he was like if you just transplanted mark hollis for instance 
onto this album and had to sing the same lines, it's not going to hit the same way because there are moments here where he will very intentionally kind of have a bit of a vocal break. And it's like he it's like he can't expel all of the passion from his body. Like he's just singing and there's just it feels like the inevitable result of being so impassioned and saturated by this, because this is one of the most achingly romantic records I've ever heard in my life like in lesser hands it lyrically would come off as maybe even kind of like creepy or possessive but the sincerity it's delivered with of just like no one's going to love you like i love you i fucking believe paul buchanan when he says that every single declarative statement on here is an unadulterated truth it feels like everything that is existing in Paul's world is going to exist forever because of this album. And that whole nocturnal vibe that it sort of radiates just kind of enhances that. It, I, I know it's probably just because my brain is this broken at points, but honestly, I was reminded a lot of the moody atmosphere of early Tom Waits records, like Closing Time or The Heart of Saturday Night, where they just really capture something so quintessential about nightlife and existing within it. But there is something very distinctly different about this because it's a little bit more, I mean, I, the word I keep coming back to is romantic, is that it's it's all about his relationship with with like an object of desire just to take advantage of this moment that you have together. There is like a moment later on in the track list where it kind of has like a, a bit of a sobering up moment where the night is over and you just kind of have to deal with it. This is not a long album. It's under 40 minutes. But each of the song, like there's only seven songs on here, the shortest song being four minutes long. So it lets you gestate in these songs that, you know, they don't traditionally have these very immediate hooks or these things that are going to really capture you maybe traditionally about pop songwriting. But it's the atmosphere that makes it absolutely sublime. You just want to live in these songs forever. I don't even confidently know what my favorite song on here is right now. I think it's Let's Go Out Tonight, just because that's the most sincere, sweet, everything I love about the writing of this album at its very best, just sort of at the apex of all of it. I, I find it so easy to get lost within it. There, there are moments in one particular song in the back half to me that showcase a little bit more of a, a dated production style, but that doesn't really hold it back. I just kind of find it really charming, honestly. And it's still a great moment structurally and lyrically to segue you into the phenomenal ending of this album. This is just like, I, I, I'm I glad you didn't do a double bill for this album and the other one, just because I feel like I'm still absorbing a lot about this experience and I just wouldn't be able to verbalize much more about another experience like it. I mean, I'm gonna listen to A Walk Across the Rooftops now, like, making it a priority. But at the same time, there's so much density here to this experience. And it's that exact kind of vibe that's just, like, music that I absolutely adore. Stuff like uh, The Clientele, for instance, has a very similar right, dreamy, yeah. nocturnal vibe yeah. that uh, yeah. was also captured here. And it, it's just, it's done with power. It's done with confidence. I... I cannot say enough good things about this album, especially when you consider that, like, I genuinely think the first four songs on here are 100 out of 100 stone cold perfection, like just straight up. 
I thought of the clientele as well. Actually, there's something about that kind of there's a, there's there's music has a slightly kind of snowier, sort of colder, obviously more Londony edge. But Paul Buchanan's vocal presence has this fragility to it that is so perfectly matched with the sense of un, of of a lack of confidence in the stability of any given moment. And the predominant theme of the album to me is trying to force a kind of stability or trying to kind of force a kind of moment or a kind of emotion to exist between you and someone else that maybe just can't naturally happen. I mean, think let's go out tonight, beautifully imbues that because it's a song about trying to delude yourself into believing that a doomed relationship is going to work if you just go out together, if you go and see the lights, if you go and find a place where everything's all right. It's a beautifully tragic song, but the emotional tone of it is not overwhelmingly maudlin or melancholy. It's just somewhere in between believing in the delusion and being confronted with the reality. It's this unfixed state in the middle, which makes it so emotionally palpable. Even before you pick apart what the song is about on a lyrical level, that is captured within the tone of it in a beautiful way. It's hard for me not to think of like newer era American football when listening to this. The guitar just has that tone to it in this song. And the atmosphere is so heavy and predominant. I think that the, I guess I suppose the compositional minimalism of this record won't be for everyone. I mean, a lot of these songs don't even have a B section. Like a lot of these songs are just like, here's the A section and it's the whole song. And so that won't appeal to people who are maybe looking for a little bit more counterpoint within the music. But because basically the first 30 seconds of each song kind of gives you everything the song is going to give you or at least introduces all the ideas the song is going to give you with the exception of, of a track like 7am i think which introduces some more interesting ideas towards the end of it but for the most part these are not songs that are here to bowl you over with surprise changes or movements or offer all that much complexity the complexity comes from this very particular kind of nuance and the emotional tone of it that i think is really really undervalued and harder to capture than you might think because if it were really easy to capture there would be a million records like this and it wouldn't feel that special but yeah it's right there from the gate with over the hillside which with that particular tone of the kick and the snare and the song that it actually the only other reference point i can think of is the way that the the drums sound at the beginning of the peaks by everything everything it's the same tone Ooh. Um, mm -hmm. you think about that drum tone, the very first thing you hear on the album, and you think about it in the context of 80s drum tones, you think about gated snares, you think about these heavy metallic and almost industrial sounds that you associate with 80s percussion, right? And you put this album on, you're completely greeted with something that's totally the opposite of that, that strips all of that away, that's just fundamentally plaintive in a way that you wouldn't would not expect going into this oh it's an 80s scottish pop record you're expecting a particular kind of thing and the blue nile totally undercut that in the very first sound you hear on the whole album and that i think is part of the oh the the thing that sort of startles you when you put this on and how effective they are at, at leading that into a very seductive and tranquil atmosphere that nonetheless has this longing emotional tone to it that pulls you in it pulls you deeper you want to know more about this world you want to know more about what's 
why this character is, is feeling the way that they are. You want to know more about what their situation is and you want some kind of happy ending for them. And the thing is, because this is not a storytelling album, so you don't really get any kind of closure on those things. You get ideas and you get shifts between emotions across the track list, but you are invited to share in a feeling with the album and you're invited to just dwell in that space. And if you can find satisfaction out of that, and if that doesn't leave you wanting, then the album is practically perfect because it does that consistently on every single track with peerless execution. And it's like, yeah, if you want to pick those apart, the lyricism is kind of hackneyed. There's like a, a reliance on cliche and a reliance on motifs that are not necessarily all that original, but that's not the point. And that doesn't sort of get in the way of what the record is about because it's not about, you know, originality or inventiveness in that sense. It is about timelessness, right? And so work in night and day, I try to get, but I, I try to get ahead, but I don't get ahead this way. That's about as simple as a way you could possibly express that idea of futility and there's no need to just... I, i'd argue that that makes the album what it is is that it adds to the idea of this main character kind of like it's like it's the only way he knows how to express intimacy is through cliche and that adds to the character portrait yeah and there's this sense with which he recognizes that even that's not enough like in the post-chorus of the song where he sings, the stars in your eyes, knowing what's right, the stars in your eyes don't explain. Like he's he's lost in images and he's lost in ideas and he doesn't want someone to try and unpack them or explain them for him because he knows they'll fall apart if they're you know, investigated or interrogated with any level of depth. And that's the thing. It comes back to this theme across the album, which is about wanting to live in a delusion of happiness, wanting to live in a delusion of love and having to come to terms with the very sometimes huge, vast gap between that delusion and reality. But it doesn't treat, or at least for me, it doesn't treat that delusion as pitiful. It, treat, it treats it as almost aspirational. And that really comes through in the Downtown Lights, which is probably the album's most well-known song. This second most successful single, I think, of theirs behind uh, Tinseltown in the Rain. And I, I mean, an what absolutely two? emotionally brutal song with this these resonating organ tones and these sort of gentle, flitting, synthesized flourishes and Paul's voice at the center of it. it parts of the song almost dwarfed by the soundscape around him until the finale of the song where he just kind of lets rip and his very strong Scottish bro comes through but I love that so much of the song for an album that is establishing this theme of, of delusion and of desire and of longing is occupying this realm of doubt how do i know you feel it how do i know you feel it is the chorus just th that line over and over again and again this referring reference to lights to the uh aspect to the, the the vague haze of the city that is some distant but attainable thing to him that he believes will solve his melancholy you know moving towards it with this person you know the city representing some kind of end point some kind of resolution to the unclear nature of the relationship and of their emotions it's it it really gets you it really just pulls at you 
and the longing chords that the song just hangs inside of these these stretching just uncertain and and unconclusive tones as well like the 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 melody seldom gets a clear resolution and that's what makes the song feel so sad because it's occupying the space of just prolonged open-endedness you know it's it's a it's a gut-wrenchingly tragic song and then you get to that outro with the spoken word part and neons and the cigarettes, rental rooms and rented cars, where he's just overcome by all of this imagery of the city, all of these things of the city. Like, it's like that thing that was far off in the distance, I've now reached it. And I'm just, I don't, it hasn't answered all of my problems. All it has done is just overwhelm me with possibilities that I don't know what to do with. The chimney tops and trumpets, the crowded streets, the empty bars, the golden lights, the loving prayers, the colored shoes, the empty trains. I'm tired of crying on the stairs, which, oh, that part is the most raw part of the whole album. God, that's, you know, I think that kind of unlocks it for me is that I talked about it being reminiscent of kind of the the nocturnal vibe of early Tom Waits and stuff is that this album feels like it's written from the perspective of a character Tom would write in Rain Dogs. Like, it feels like that's a a, a parallel it's like you can find that kind of pocket within the world and this is the like just his own story and i find something about the interiority of it all to be really effective when paired with this basically overwhelming atmosphere another comparison that is a bit out there i'll admit but like just the emotionally expressive lyricism and the the vibe of it all it makes me think of like melancholy era smashing pumpkins like stumbling or by starlight or those songs that just try to capture the ephemera of of youth and like fading youth particularly or hell just a lot of songs on something like adore that really go for that kind of like big atmospheric wash it's a little bit more i mean obviously it's a bit more minimal here but it's never less impactful like it's it's always it retains its potency just the entire way through it which is just kind of staggering when you look at how effective its greatest moments and peaks are and how like the relative valleys are not that far away from said peaks well so I, and I think, I I think in bringing up that smashing pumpkins reference point you kind of touch on something kind of key to the appeal of this record and how well positioned it is in history because it kind of bridges you know it's an 80s pop record sonically it, it is it just it owes and comes so clearly out of that era but in a lot of its spirit it presages a lot of alternative rock and indie rock and a lot of the, a lot of the more sort of searching melancholic gen x music that would that would come to kind of war on drugs yeah well I, and i think of yola tingo even you know from the from yeah the, oh painful. god yeah a record like painful like owes so much to the blue niles hats just in its spirit and in, in its sense of atmosphere and in the feelings that it explores and so i think that hats is a really modern album in a lot of senses it feels like it belongs and captures a, a sentiment that i think a lot of people still feel very deeply today and and would attune itself very well to to gen z i think oh yeah that's probably why it's been so ripe for rediscovery with like i, I see the sophisticated bands like the blue nile and prefab sprout often brought up by you know the same people online who are like you know zoomers who are getting into steely dan and stuff where they like they revisit these sort of capsules of the past where they can appreciate the 
perfectionism on display that maybe wasn't appreciated at the time or maybe seen as sterile or just for one reason or another didn't like you know make them like these immortal you know classic things that are just like super ubiquitous it's the kind of thing that like once you get into like online music discussion it's albums like this that you get into that universe for in the first place is that you're like oh this is the stuff that i'm looking for the stuff that nobody is going to really point me in the direction of just in my casual waking life you have to do a little bit of digging like this yeah is, yeah man, exactly because we we live like and not i'm trying to not sound like an old man here but we live in a in an era currently where a lot of well, like what a lot of pop culture in general not even just the sound of music but it extends to that as well is all saturation is all like mm-hmm. constant sort of cramming together of stuff whether it's into songs or whether it's just the way that content in general so if you go back to the 70s and 80s and you listen to records by bands like steely dan and the blue nile it's refreshing because you're hearing space you're hearing craft you're hearing refinement and you're hearing something which you don't really get a lot in modern music production anymore even in the like minimal pop stuff that's come to define the late 2010s and early 2020s that's still like there's not really atmosphere and space in the music of people like Billie Eilish because while it's minimal it's still like claustrophobic and sharp and and has jagged edges whereas when you go Mm. back to some of this you know older music like bands like the Blue Nile you get to breathe while you're listening to it it's 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 a relaxing salve while still capturing some really you know relatably sad and complicated emotional states i i highly recommend this as an experience if you just need an evening to chill like fucking light some candles set some ambiance and wah, perfect it, it might be the the sparsest song on the album but I think from a late night train is probably my favorite thing on it. Oh, so good. Um, so it's such a specific evocation in the lyrics of the song and his vocal stylings and the the distant horn and this the the piano that just immediately without ever even having heard the song before, I was like, I've been here and I've done this. The nostalgia, but like, yeah, you're. But like for for some shit that sucked, um, <laughs> just just being being a sad bastard. It's almost like dangerously sparse at this point in the album as well, because everything has been so rich. But the di- the intentional dialing back of that, especially after headlights on the parade, which is probably my second favorite on the album. It does feel like the moment in the night where everything is quieted down or you're you've gone home after seeing all your friends. Just nights like that where you're like you're, you fi- you suddenly find yourself alone for the first time in a handful of hours and things are you know maybe going maybe going through it a little bit. This album has got me like, uh, this album's going to have me in years just because I love this album in case that wasn't already apparent, but like, this is easily one of the best first listens that I've had this year. And it's going to eventually in my future have me like fucking Fraser Crane out on the balcony overlooking Seattle at night with a glass of sherry in his hand. Like that's the vibe I'm trying to achieve with this music. Mm -hmm. Like that's, I need that to happen. It's a goal in life. So one day 
to to live in a nice apartment and just be like, I'm going to have a drink. I'm going to turn on the Blue Nile. I'm going to I'm going to have myself a wine mom evening just because that is exactly the setting that this is best appreciated within. Yeah, you know, stacking these lyrics up like next to each other, I'm realizing there's more of an arc to the album than I maybe even previously gave it credit for. I mean, oh yeah, those first three songs really do articulate this feeling of deluded and the need for this relationship you're in to work, for this emotional connection that you desperately crave to be there when it just isn't. And that the delusion does kind of reach its height in Let's Go Out Tonight, which to me is the most desperate song on the album, which makes it the saddest. Like that song just completely undoes me. And the precision of the placement of every single thing that happens in that song is so delicate it feels like the whole thing might collapse because that's how delicate the delusion is at this point for the character of the record and there's a little moment about two minutes and 40 seconds into the song where this piano chord just hits like really louder than any other piano chord and they're in the rest of the song at all and it's just this little moment that completely rips me into shreds and then shortly after that Paul Buchanan's vocal delivery starts getting more and more desperate and more and more kind of strained. And you feel the weight of the truth kind of tearing him into pieces. And Headlights on the Parade is kind of conversely, like I agree with Morgan, it captures the sense of, of freedom in being alone. And so you get the sense through the song that the truth has come out and maybe the narrator is freed from the constraints of trying to make that love work and able to accept that you know, the city wins while you and I can't find a way. And in this, you know, in this big city that he's reached after longing for in the first song, he's simply no longer overwhelmed by it and able to simply get lost inside of the headlights on the parade of the cars going by. And then you hear from a late light train, which is, you know, as concrete of an acceptance of loss that the whole album gets. The chorus is just, I, it's over now. I know it's over, but I can't let go. You know, that, that sense. The, after... the, arc, the arc is just an evening, honestly. Like that's yeah, the whole I... thing is that it's just like, it charts the trajectory of somebody's night. And then eventually you get to that kind of sobering early hours of the morning segment of the record. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Like, like headlights on the parade is that midnight sort of being lost in the middle of the city and, and the lights of the cars and then you're wandering down to the rail yard and you're, you're hearing trains sort of in the distance and you know fantasizing about that idea of escape and that idea of of, of just getting on and going and i love the way that the the gentle like horn trills that happen in the song sound like a distant train's fanfare just yeah it evokes an atmosphere so strongly that it's inescapable. And then you're right. It is, there's a sobering that happens with 7am, which I think is one of the most formless songs on the record. So I understand why it's, it has less of an instant appeal for people, but I've come to really love this song. I've come to really love how dynamic it is. I mean, I know that it has some of the most quote unquote, dated or quote-unquote not i don't like the word dated in this context some of the most sort of like in indulgent sort of aspects of, of production and soundscape like this really fat synthetic bass tone and these really just towards the end of the song as well these really like um 
sort of not scraping but just sort of these really like shimmering uh funk guitar parts that come in like the the rays of sunlight as the morning is dawning basically it's so evocative and it carries on so beautifully it really does feel like 7 a.m it feels like the end of the night as the sun is coming up and i love the way that the song starts so minimally focusing on that contrast between those sort of gentle like um tropical percussion and the burbling bass you know that's the sound of the industrial you know city waking up basically against these you know shimmering bits of effects and percussion you know it is the sound it is the sound of if a new dawn beginning basically and when those you know shining you know so loud funk guitars come in with the piano at the end it's like yeah everything is awake and you're you're sunblind all of a sudden you're hung over right and and you're you know getting ready to carry on with things and you're focused on love still you're in the aftermath of that you're you're repeating where is the love where is the love i need love to be true i'm coming home to you i don't know stop go you know it's some of the most formless of music on the whole record and it fits the moment so well and then you have saturday night which is my favorite song on the album it is one of the most transcendentally euphoric pieces of pop music i could ever imagine let alone have actually heard like i can't feasibly conceive of a piece of music that is to me more euphoric and full of possibility than this it is the sound of being at your lowest and having an arm reach out to you it's the sound of being pulled out of the mire depths of your wallowing and just completely lit up by the possibilities of love it's a cyclical thing right it is this narrator who has been who has gone to his lowest point presumably under the influence of alcohol and is coming up for air finally and the euphoria in this song particularly in the strings as well which have been an underrated element of the album so far but really come to the fore in this song and firstly it's just as backdrop right these resonant and quite high-pitched strings that are sort of happening in the background and giving this sense of burbling you know uh, developing drama to the song and then they just come to the fore more and more as the song goes on and lyrically it's one of the most vivid songs on the whole record as well like quarter to five when the storefronts are closed in paradise meet me outside the cherry light we'll walk away an ordinary girl will make the world all right i love the way that he sings i love an ordinary girl on this song like he makes this most mundane of experiences this most you know universally shared thing this sensation and he makes it feel like the best thing in the world i love an ordinary girl like it's it just it makes me really emotional man and the way that the strings are like they're like cheering him on through this celebration of this feeling what i love about it is that a lot of it becomes future tense like a lot of what's being spoken about is not something that's happening or has happened but something that he's envisioning and again it could be you could read this through the lens of other songs in the record that it's all just a fantasy and maybe it is but that's not clear 
it could be a fantasy or if you're more of an optimist if you view the this part of the record through a more through a lens of more hope you could see it as a realistic view of what's next like i just yeah it, 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 to me it's profound and it ends the record in such a, a beautifully graceful but also surprisingly uplifting way that i just you won't you don't expect it listening to the record for it to end in such a triumphant way or at least i read it as triumphant um but yeah what do you guys think a terrific closer and i i like that you zeroed in on the ordinary girl line because to me that's kind of the thing that unlocks the whole thematic core of the record so to speak because it's just the act of making music like this it feels like at the end of the day it's almost celebrating the mundane it's celebrating the fact that this is the guy in this like album is an ordinary guy and he loves an ordinary girl and it's like and this is the magic that comes from that it's just like it may not even end well but look at the beauty that can be conjured from the ephemera of the moment and that's like oh god i mean that's just like that that's a profoundly affirming notion that I just I I really do love at the end of the day. It makes you feel like your own mundanity is beautiful. And I I, I love that. That's terrific. Mm. One thing I want to note is that on the remaster of the of this album, there are two bonus tracks that do not appear on the record proper. Christmas and the wires are down. Both of these songs are fucking incredible. Um, I I love them both. They follow in the stead of basically everything on the record. Um, Christmas is a little bit more in the vein of uh, 7 a.m. in that it's a bit more minimal, but I feel like it gets a little bit more mileage out of that maybe. Like, cards on the table. I would give this album perfect marks if they swapped 7 a.m. for The Wires Are Down. Uh, not that I don't like 7 a.m. It's just, to me, the indisputable weakest point on the album, which is to say it's a great song. It's just not quite as as everything else. It's a very succinct, very, you know, like serves a structural purpose, serves a thematic purpose. The music itself is is good. Um, but to me, The Wires Are Down kind of accomplishes a very similar thing, but without maybe being quite as... Uh, you know, aggressively late 80s in the production, which is still something I find charming. But still, if you are somebody who enjoys this music, go seek those songs out because they are as good as everything on the proper album, if you ask me. A good note to end on. All right, let's do our favorite tracks and rating out of 10 for the Blue Niles hats. Jake, you go first. My favorite song is the first five um i'll probably go with let's go out tonight as my favorite song and then over the hillside and yeah the downtown lights nine out of ten with room to grow my three favorites are uh from a late night train uh headlights on the parade and saturday night no least favorites really uh, for now, I'm gonna give this a nine and a half, but it's I mean it's just it's probably gonna be a ten at some point. So my three favorites are Saturday night, the downtown lights, and let's go out tonight. Um, no least favorite, and you better believe this is a ten from me. Which ten? 
which gives us an average overall of 9.5 for the Blue Niles hats. Let us know what you think of this album in the comments below. How does what does it mean to you? What do you think of our interpretations? What do you think of our thoughts? What do you think of things we've had to say about this album? If you want to add to the conversation, please do in the comments below. We love hearing from you and we would love to hear what the album means to you. If you want to go above and beyond and support us directly for just $1 a month, you can hit the join button, become a member of the Jams and Tea family, get your name and the title call of every video on this channel. Plus, if you want to recommend us some music to talk about in our now episodes, your recommendation will go to the top of the pile. Until next time though, folks, rock over London, rock on Chicago, Toyota, let's go places.